Hey, you're listening to the House of Prayer Leadership Podcast. My name is Matthew Lilly. I'm the host of another podcast called Presence Pioneers. But we have this House of Prayer Leadership Podcast for you as a resource for leaders who are hosting prayer meetings in their city. These are recordings provided by Brad Stroop from the Prayer Room in Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas. And he's allowed us to take these training recordings and provide them to you as a free resource on this House of Prayer Leadership Podcast. Now, these are a number of years old, but they're going to provide some amazing practical training for anyone who's trying to organize people to pray, especially for multiple prayer meetings every week. And so we wanted to provide these to you as a resource, and I hope they're super helpful for you. We're so thankful to Brad Stroop and the Prayer Room in Dallas-Fort Worth for allowing us to repurpose these trainings. And if you'd like to connect to a podcast that's putting out new content on a regular basis, then we would love to have you also join us for the Presence Pioneers podcast, which is available on all platforms and is also available at presencepioneers.org. And the heart of the Presence Pioneers podcast is to equip you to host the presence of God through day and night worship and prayer. And so we have Bible teachings as well as interviews with leaders in the worship and prayer movement to help inspire you and equip you to host the presence of God. Please enjoy this session of the House of Prayer Leadership Podcast with Brad Stroop. All right. Uh... So last session today in the House Prayer Leadership track on uh, House Prayer Administration. And the session uh, number three is entitled Leadership Do's and Don'ts. Um, this is uh, really closely tied to uh, a couple of different topics. Uh, one would be administrating um, the House of Prayer. Another one would be just kind of, uh, you know, leadership 101 kind of stuff. When you put it all together, uh, it will be helpful in this series. Uh, as kind of a, a finishing out, um, because it will uh, really kind of help us to know where we're trying to take all this administrative efforts, where we're trying to go with it, is ultimately to be able to give it out uh, for others to, to help with. So, as a leader, you have too much to do and not enough time to do it. And it's my proposal that that's God's idea. Um because the Lord does not want every person on the planet to be a leader of a thousand people. Uh, the Lord wants for 999 of them to be helping support what it is that the person that's leading the thousand people is doing. The reason that uh, this matters, whether it's a thousand people or 10 people or 50, whatever the number is, is the Lord called the leader to lead. And therefore, the Lord is asking that leader to accomplish way more than that leader can do by themselves because they're not supposed to. They're supposed to call others into the vision to do the work. And so uh, they're certainly going to work, but um, but it's actually the way of the kingdom to get things done, to have uh, leaders have an idea from heaven, uh, to then take that idea and uh, you know hear from the Lord and try to you know put it into practice. And what putting it to practice is going to look like is 100% always every time getting other people who aren't called to go do that same thing uh, or, or aren't, aren't called to go lead uh, something else to help build that particular piece of the kingdom. And so uh, you can think of it a little bit like, you know, um, you know, settling, you know, the the, you know, some, uh, you know, new kingdom. So it's like, you, you know, back in the day, you know, ancient times or whatever, and there were, you know, thousands of square miles of uncharted territory or whatever. Uh, the idea of who was going to be the guy that was going to go out there and start the little fort and build a little town and become the mayor and, and to turn it into a city and that kind of, who was going to be that guy? And then who were going to be all the people that came and built and built houses and brought, you know, all the infrastructure and all that stuff. And so if you are, uh, you know, called to lead the house of prayer, then you have way too much to do. You can't do it all and you're not supposed to. But if you don't uh, learn how to delegate, then you will be doing all of the work yourself and you will be doing it poorly because you weren't in uh, uh, entrusted to do it all. You were entrusted to oversee it all. 
And so, uh, so make a, uh, make things very difficult on you and will stunt the ministry's growth and will keep people from being able to be actively engaged in the way that they were supposed to, that was really the Lord's plan for them. And, uh, so all that comes down to, you need to learn how to delegate and, <clears throat> Uh, God gives his leaders the bigger picture of what's supposed to happen so that uh, they can, uh, you know, see the the task and the project and the ministry that's in the heart of the Lord. And uh, and then they can begin to take steps towards that and to call others into that vision um, who will then help, uh, you know, build it. So it's our job as leaders to learn how to delegate responsibilities. And without that concept, uh, the house of prayer will not move forward. So, uh, learning the art of delegating. A <clears throat> couple of uh, little points here is it's about sharing the responsibility. Um, in order to delegate tasks to people or, you know, to-dos or whatever, they have to share the responsibility of the ministry. And people don't intrinsically feel responsible for anything until they, in a ministry context, uh, until they've had some vision cast for them, until uh, they have a little bit of buy-in in the ministry themselves. And, uh, and so it's, it's really your job as the leader to help people get a vision for what it is that you're doing and help them to see their part uh, and help them to understand that they have a responsibility in it because what most people are used to when it comes to the concept of ministry is they're used to being able to go and visit a church on a Sunday morning uh, and they come for an hour and or two and then they leave and that's all they have to do with ministry. And there's no responsibility there that they're feeling necessarily until they start to get more involved, build some relationships, <clears throat> really have some expectations set on them. And so it's it's about sharing the responsibility of all the work and uh, casting a, a, a accurate and adequate vision of what that work is, how they can help, why it needs to be done, all of that. And so a lot of that comes down to vision casting, which again is another <clears throat> uh, series that we do. But uh, just to touch on it here, you're not going to be able to delegate very well unless you can get the people you're delegating to to understand why you're uh, having them help. You want to figure out how to delegate as much as humanly possible. Now, one of the things I can, uh, you know, remember when uh, we first started, especially, and I was, I was first starting to get into this delegating thing. Cause what my first uh, uh, initial uh, uh, thought process and probably most people's uh, starting point is, well, I'll just do it all. Cause if I do it all, I know it gets done right. And, and, you know, I can make sure it all gets done. There's not that much to do. That only works for a little while because then there will be way too much to do. And uh, <clears throat> and as I first started getting started in all this and I started to get into the concept of delegating, um, I can remember accusations in my own heart and I can, I can remember some, some accusations from people about me delegating things that they thought I could have or should have done. Uh, and, uh, and again, I, I include my own the accusations in my own heart about this, you know, asking somebody to do this task or to do that when I could have just as easily have done it. And while it's true that I could have just as easily have done it until you start learning how to delegate things that you could have just as easily have done, you won't learn how to delegate until people are used to doing tasks that you could have just as easily have done. They won't be ready for bigger tasks that is, that takes more time and more energy. Um, truth of the matter is, even if you delegate something that you maybe even should have done until you get to the point where you're able to just delegate more, those were tasks that were going to take you time and it's time that you could have spent doing something else. And it's time that they could have spent serving that they wouldn't have had you not delegated that task. You know, I can remember a couple of times where, uh, I was uh, working on something and I was so busy, uh, that I actually delegated the task of picking up a couple of things at the grocery store, uh, for myself. It wasn't like I needed the, these purchases so that I could, you know, do the ministry event. It's that I hadn't had time to go to the grocery store 
but I knew I was going to need to eat later. But I was so busy working on the thing. So-and-so was already on their way. They were going to pass the grocery store and come to my house. Um, and I was like, listen, would you just, would you go pick up these 10 things from the grocery store for me? And I'll pay it back. Like I am working on this other thing. And it's like, that may sound like a really dumb example, but the reason that that one is so, that one comes back to my mind often is because had I not delegated that responsibility, which was just about my personal life, me having cereal, you know, had I not done that, I would have still had to have gone and done that. But the things that I was currently working on, no one else could do. I had to be the one to do the things I was working on. And so I figured out a way to delegate something else so that I had time to be able to focus on the things that, you know, I needed to get done. And, you know, I'm not a, a fan of asking people to go to the grocery store for me, but my point is sometimes, uh, the thing you need to delegate is, you know, something that is just a normal, anybody can do it kind of a thing because you need to be working on something that is a, you know, something specific that you really have to be the one working on uh, kind of thing. So, uh, you know, I, I use that example because I, I can still remember, you know, now those kinds of things coming up and me even feeling a little bit of that accusation in my heart, like you just had to have them go to the grocery store for you. I'm like, well, but if I wouldn't have, then that would have been, I would have been more busy tomorrow doing this. And they were looking to serve. They wanted to help like, and they couldn't help me with the thing I was working on. So I was just going to tell them, no, you can't help. And so, uh, so finding creative ways to get people involved, delegate as much as you can <clears throat> delegate specific tasks to those in the ministry. As you get a handle on some things and kind of see how things, uh, you want things to operate a little bit, give specific responsibilities to people in an ongoing way. So the difference between a one-time delegation and a uh, you know, delegating the responsibility fully. So when we first started meeting, uh, snacks was probably one third of our ministry snack time. We just got together on Saturday nights and before we would preach or worship or whatever, we'd spend time eating cheese dip and crackers and hanging out and, and, you know, little apple slices. I mean, we're just hanging out and, uh, it was a great time of fellowship every week, uh, that was really good and super important to bond the group and to have there be sweet relationships because we were all doing a bunch of prayer meetings a week. I mean, we were doing 14 prayer meetings a week at that time. And to have people have a little bit of relationship outside of the prayer meetings was very helpful. And anyway, here's a, in that scenario, here's the difference between a one time and a permanent. So, uh, you're busy. So one night you say, Hey, listen, so-and-so, will you pick up the snacks and prepare them tonight? And they go, yeah, I'll do that. And you figure out, you know, how to do that or whatever. That's a one-time delegation. Ongoing delegation is, Hey, will you be snack guy? And every Saturday night, will you be in charge of the snacks? You're in charge to make sure they get purchased. Uh, here's the credit card or here's the, the cash that we use. Um, here's kind of, you know, the budget we're going to do. Uh, you know, they need the, the stuff needs to be ready by 7 PM. Uh, can you make sure that there's somebody to clean it up afterwards at nine 30? Uh, can you this, this, and this, and now that's your permanent responsibility. Can you be in charge of the snacks moving forward? Well, surely someone can do that. Why should that have to be you? But until you've got the budget and well, here's what we do for snacks and here's how much we can use. And here's where the money comes from until you have some of that infrastructure together, you can't really hand it off. <clears throat> so figure out a way to get the infrastructure together and then hand the thing off. And that's a specific task that helps the ministry. And, you know, if I just talked about snacks, then you could probably come up with a hundred, you know, other more, uh, you know, uh, integral parts of the ministry that you could uh, delegate. But again, you have to already have a little bit of a system in place, or maybe they're gifted in thinking up such things that you can, they can run it by you. But the point is assigning specific tasks that are kind of in an ongoing manner so that you don't have to think about it. Cause now that's off your plate permanently. That's one less grocery store run. That's one less 30 minutes of preparation. That's one less this, that's one less that. Um, and it's somebody else who's now able to actively serve the ministry that was doing nothing a minute ago to serve the ministry. And now they've got an active role they can actually help with on an ongoing basis. Uh, so the important part is just making the expectations clear. Um, you know, little things like, hey, snack guy, if you're ever out, make sure to get somebody else to be snack guy, because I'm thinking I never have to think about snacks again. So if you're out of town, and we don't have snacks that night, 
that's your fault because you went out of town. So make sure to get somebody else to cover your snacks. I mean, just that's a clear expectation. Hey, we want it ready by seven. So it's not just whatever, you know, maybe there's snacks, maybe they're not. I mean, give them clear expectations. So I know I'm being goofy with the concept of snacks, but it was really important to us that hour. And, uh, and you can think of, you know, a bunch of different crossovers of how this could apply to other areas of the ministry. The important part is giving clear expectations and, uh, and helping people, you know, know what to do. Um, so another, uh, big piece of delegating is deadlines. So sometimes in delegating a task or responsibility or asking somebody to look into something or to take care of something or to fix something or to put something together or to, you know, give you, you know, something in return, whatever. Um, there's a, there's a need for deadlines. And I want to encourage you as a leader, get in the habit of assigning deadlines in the initial conversation. Let me give you a, for instance, of what that looks like or what it doesn't look like. Um, let's say somebody is going to make a graphic for you. Okay. They're going to design something for you and uh, they're going to make you a little you know, graphic for an upcoming event or something. They're busy. They've got a full-time job. Uh, they've got a thousand reasons to forget about you and your graphic. Okay. In the initial conversation, they say, Hey, I, yeah, I think I could do that. You say real kindly, could you have it done by next Tuesday? Oh, wow. Well, that's a little soon. I don't think I could have it done by next Tuesday. Okay. When could you have it done by? Well, probably take me three weeks. Okay. So are we talking about Tuesday, the 21st? Can you have it done by Tuesday, the 21st? Uh, yeah, 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 I can get it done by Tuesday. Okay, great. I'll check back in with you. Uh, but I'm counting on you to have that graphic to me by Tuesday, the 21st. Well, that was a date they told you. You didn't tell them. I mean, they, you came up with a deadline together that they were comfortable with. So it's not like you said, I got to have it. You got to give it to me tomorrow. I'm, you better get it to them. I mean, you worked with them to come up with a time frame that worked for them, but now you've got a date because without that date, here's what happens half the time. Half the time is you never get the graphic. And I'm not picking on graphic. I mean, it could be anything. Half the time, if there's no deadline, it'll never happen. And you'll have to remember, oh man, are we doing, is that still happening? When was the last time I talked to that gal? You know, when are we doing this? What's you know, going on here? Um, and so uh, assigning a deadline <clears throat> is is essential to delegating. You know, in the snacks concept, uh, I was saying, you know, the deadline was seven o'clock. Like the snacks need to be here by seven. So it's not, yeah, you'll have snacks Saturday. It's the snacks need to be here ready by seven, you know, that kind of thing. So assigning the deadline in the initial communication. And uh, that's so helpful because then what that does is that lets everybody involved in the process know what's expected, When's it supposed to be done? And hey, if you're not going to make the deadline, call and tell me ahead of time. We'll work something out. We'll figure something out. But like, I'm counting on you to do the deadline you came up with. Now, this concept of giving, letting them help you pick the deadline is very useful when you're talking about a, an entirely volunteer force. You know, when you've got a workforce that are all volunteers, uh, your expectation level on them can't be quite as high as if they're all a bunch of full-time staff, you know? So letting them help pick the time frame is helpful. And plus, if it was their idea, then they should feel very comfortable being held accountable to what they told you. You know what I mean? So that's a kind of a, a helpful piece there. And my thought process is I'm always willing to give grace on deadlines so long as people communicate to me ahead of time. So it's like they said they needed two weeks or they needed three days, whatever it is, you know, say three days for the get you the description of the thing or whatever. Okay. I, yeah. I need the description of the thing in three days. Okay. Yeah. I can get that. That's fine. I can do that. If they call me the next day and go, listen, I'm not going to get it done. Uh, in three days, I had this thing. I got to go out of town. Can I get it to you by Saturday? Of course. Yes, absolutely. Where I get upset is where three days comes and goes. And then I find out they're out of town and they didn't get it done and they didn't tell me. And as a leader, if you want to be taken seriously, and this is, this is a, nobody's favorite part of leadership. If you want to be taken seriously, you need to kindly get in their face and say, Hey, listen, you said you were going to do this and you didn't. What happened? You need to hold them accountable to it because, uh, that's what leaders do. Leaders help hold people accountable to what they said they were going to do. You don't need to be mean about it, but you do need to hold them accountable. And you say, listen, you said you were going to do this. Then you left town. You know, you left me hanging, right? I mean, that, 
that kind of put me in a spot because I thought this was going to be done. And then I find out you were gone. And the truth of the matter is most of these houses of prayer that are going to get started are going to get started with a bunch of 20 year olds that need that mentorship. They need that kind in your face, mother or father figure uh, saying, yeah, that's really not okay to say you're going to do something and then not, and then not get anybody to fill in for you or get it taken care of. Like that's, that's not cool. That's not godly. Don't do that. People need that. <clears throat> and so, uh, it's not, uh, necessarily the most fun part of leadership, but it's a necessary part of delegation. Absolutely. And what that does, when you'll do that, when you'll take that step, it changes the outcome next time. Cause that person doesn't want to let you down again. They don't have that conversation with you again. They don't want to let you down. They don't want to have to go through that. So next time they call, they're like, hey, listen, uh, go downtown. Just want to let you know. And you're like, hey, thank you so much. Don't make a big deal of it. You don't need to bring it back up. Like, That's because I told you. You don't, don't, don't do any of that. Just say, say, okay, great. Thank you. That's awesome. Good. And, uh, and it will really, really help. And so, uh, but if you don't, then it might become a trend. And you're not helping them. You're not helping you. You're not doing anybody any favors. So part of delegating is getting in their face. Again, kindly. Um, another, uh, you know, thought process that I have, and this is after being let down 10,000 times is don't assume it's done until they've proven themselves. In fact, assume the opposite. Assume they are not doing it. Assume they are not working on it. Assume they are not doing anything about it. Don't assume it's getting done just because they said it was going to get done until they've proven themselves. When they've proven their character that when they say they're going to do something, they do it, then you you believe it. But until then, it will bite you again and again and again if you're asking people to do stuff and you believe that's going to get done. Um, because we just have, we live in a generation where our yes means nothing. And that's so unfortunate and it's not, you know, uh, biblically good, but it's a very normal part of our culture. And so, uh, you want to assume that whatever it is that you, uh, just delegated to the person until you've built a relationship with them, until you know their character, until you've seen their track record, until they've, until they've built some consistency and some rapport with you. And that can happen very quickly if, if they're like right on the, on their A game. Or it may take a little bit of time if it's some the kind of thing that you only delegate every now and then to them. But until they've like earned your trust, don't believe that that thing that you gave them, especially if it's important, is just going to get done because you asked them to do it. Assume the opposite until they've built a rapport. And once they have, awesome. But in the meantime, it's not like you're, you know, uh, you know, um, thinking maliciously about them or whatever. You're just checking on them. You're going, hey, that thing, oh, I totally forgot. I'm so sorry. Okay, well, glad I called. You know, glad I asked, you know. Um, hey, where are we at on that project that we were working on? Oh, man, if I'm honest, I haven't even started on it yet. Okay, would you please start on it? Um, you know, it's just those simple, gentle little communications. Nobody likes, uh, you know, a hard case. Um, but uh, you can be very clear in your communication and not be mean. And... But it's very important when you're delegating because more than likely they're not doing it and you need to check on them. And then once they've uh, shown that when you give them something, they actually do it. Well, awesome. That's one less person you got to think about and follow up with. Now you're going to follow up with the next one that you're trying to recruit to do something different. Um, so plan on having lots of follow-ups when you are doing delegation. Um, it's like, think about it as like, training, you know, a soldier. Okay. They start off and they can barely get past their, you know, uh, their just personal training stuff. I mean, they're barely able uh, to do their physical training. Um, you know, they're, they're just barely able to get through, but eventually they're going to become like this hardened soldier. That's like able to do whatever. And yes, sir, they're able to go and do it to take over the world. But that doesn't happen in, you know, a week that happens over the course of time. And so you start them off and you just give them the basics and you check on them and you make sure they're doing their stuff and you, and you follow up with them, you follow up with them, and then you promote them a little, you promote them a little. And so you want to think about that in the concept of delegation. It's why it's very helpful. Um, we, I will do this often when new people come around here and they start to show a little bit of interest of getting involved. I'll ask them to do the simplest task and I'll, I'll watch them, see if they did it. 
see if they waited to do it, see if they didn't do it at all, see if they did it bad, see if they asked questions like, okay, I want to do that. How do I do that? Well, that's actually a very good sign to me. Uh, that means you want to do it right. I'll give them the simplest task. Hey, can you do that? It may even be something that doesn't need to get done, but I'm testing them <laughs> to see where they're at, to see what they're thinking, how they're processing, you know? Hey, there's this, uh, uh, one of the um, uh, tables in the multipurpose room, it's just dirty on top. Would you mind uh, just, you know, at some point here today, would you mind just uh, cleaning that off for me? Because it just bugs me. I'm sorry. I know I'm weird. It just bugs me. Would you do that? Y yeah. Yeah, I will. Okay, great. Well, I'm watching to see were they servant hearted about it. It was menial task. Were they willing to do a menial task? Did they do it efficiently? Did they ask where the cleaning supplies were? Or did they just go and you know, lick a piece of, you know, a Kleenex and like wipe it off with their spit. Like, what did they do? How did they handle the task? What did they do? Did they follow? Hey, Brad, I did that thing. Or did they just never bring it up with me again? All those things are little test the water things that can actually let you know very quickly how much you can entrust that person with because he who's faithful with little will be faithful with much. And if they're faithful with the little thing, if they're able to do the little task, you can count on them to be able to do the big stuff. If they can't do that little thing for the love of all good things, do not give them more responsibility. Because if they can't clean the little thing off the table, then they're not going to be able to do the whatever. And so the concept of delegation requires follow-up, follow-up, follow-up. Give them a little more and make sure you encourage the snot out of them when they do it right. The little thing. You did so awesome. You did that perfect. That is just what we needed. That Great. Thank you. Thank you for coming and saying this. Like, dote on the parts that they did well. Because what you're doing is you're telling them, they may not know. They may have been experimenting. Was I doing this right? They don't know. And you're telling them, you did that perfect. That's exactly. This part you did so good. I love the way you said this. This is how you did this. Man, this thing looks great. Great this, great that. You're letting them know. You're affirming the components that they did right. And now they know that's actually how I'm supposed to do it. I will do it that same way next time. <clears throat> and then the parts that they didn't, just be gentle with them and tell them. Say, listen. You did great on this and this and this. This is actually how we want to do this. We want to do this a little bit differently. You probably didn't know, but here it's over here. Here, the extra thing is here. This is how you do this. Go ask so-and-so about this. This is what we do. You know, it's always looks like a square. I mean, whatever, whatever it is that the communication is, just that's, you just give them a little bit of extra because now you're equipping them and helping them to know what to do. And the only way that that happens is follow-up because it means they went out to do the task they either did the task or didn't do the task. And now you're following up with them to talk to them about how it went. Hey, you didn't even do the task at all. Why? Uh, hey, you did the task. Great. Great. Do that again next time. That's awesome. In fact, will you do this other thing? It's even, you know, a little bit more responsibility. Sure. Or, hey, you did this task. This was great. And this was great. But you did this a little bit differently than how we want to do it. It's follow up. And so you have to plan when you delegate. You have to plan on following up. If you delegate and don't plan to follow up, it's as though you didn't delegate it. If you do not inspect what you expect, you will regret what you get. <clears throat> and so you want to make sure that you you go and look into uh, what it is that uh, that you've asked people to do and cast a little vision for them, follow up with them, be kind, be gentle, um, but absolutely plan on following up. And then the next time, if it's the same task, you'll probably have to follow up less, which is great. <clears throat> um, you know, I can think of people that have been around here now long enough that I know I can assign something to them and it doesn't matter what it is. I don't have to follow up with them. They will come to me if they have a problem, an issue, something's wrong, something's not working. I just know. It. I also know those that have been around here a long time that I know if I don't follow up, that thing ain't getting done. It's like, I love you dearly, but if I don't follow up with you, this thing will not happen, you know? And, and so, but if I know that, then it's actually my fault if I don't follow up because I know I like you, you aren't going to get this done without follow-up. So I better follow up with you. Um, a little bit, uh, unrelated, but, but, uh, connected is when you have to have contracted workers to do something, you know, I'm thinking about the air conditioners out over at the, the dorm. We're going to have to have somebody, because I'm not an air conditioner guy, we're going to have to have somebody come in and check on the air conditioning and, uh, and you know, work on it and make sure that that gets done. Well, 
at this point, we've got some contractors that we trust because <laughs> we've been doing this long enough. But um, but in the area, you know, of anything that's new that you don't already have somebody that you you know you know you're getting a good deal with and you know they're doing a good job, you want to make sure you get three bids. So let's say there's a plumbing leak, you get three plumbers to come and give you a bid on that, and this is just stewardship of finances because. The first plumber may actually be charging you way too much money and you don't know that until you get the second plumber and he comes in and he charges something less and you're like, uh, okay, I wonder why this guy charged something less. And then the third guy comes in and he charges about the same as one of the other two. And now you know what the real price is, you know, or what the low guy is. The other thing that happens is when you get three people to come in and check on something is you learn more about the situation each time because each guy or contractor says something different and probably says several things that are the same. And then you kind of figure out, well, what the situation really is, who was just after my money, who, what, who, what person really knows what they're talking about, which guy, I don't care what we do. That guy's not working on this place. That guy does not know what he's talking about, but you don't even know that until you figured out who does know what they're talking about. So you always want to get three bids. So if, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, you know, for a ministry, I recommend getting three bids uh, on different things. And sometimes you can do that without them having to come out. You can call them online or, you know, call them on the phone or check out their prices online or, you know, whatever. But uh, I suggest getting, uh, you know, three bids and um, staying on top of them. Plan on them failing you. Contracted labor uh, many times, again, until you find contractors that you know are trustworthy, you know, they work hard, you know, that they're going to do a good job. They're not going to cut corners until you found those people. You want to plan on the people swindling you. You want to plan on them walking in and doing a bad job, not paying attention to the details, that kind of stuff. And so you got to follow up with them. I mean, we've got some contractors that I like, and I just, I still know that I got to watch them because not because they're going to do a bad job, but because they may do it in a way that's not really what I was trying to accomplish. You know, I really wanted it to look this way, but I communicated in such a way that they interpret it to look this way, you know? And so uh, there's a spot over at the dorm right now uh, that uh, the way that they built the wall uh, was not how I wanted it. It's because I didn't pay attention to that one little point, uh, you know, in the, in the follow-up process, they built it a little janky and I'm like, I still look at it. I'm like, ah, dang it. Why did, it, why did I not look right there to make sure that that didn't happen that way? And, uh, and it comes down to uh, just inspecting those that contract laborers that you're delegating out responsibilities. Hey, will you fix this? Hey, will you install this? Hey, will you do this project? Following up with them and making sure they do a good job. It's part of your financial stewardship. It's part of making sure things uh, you know are done right and uh, making sure that their time uh, is, is uh, well spent and that you get the end product that you want. So all of that is about the concept of uh, delegating. So now what we're going to do is now we're going to move on to uh, work ethic and uh, and how this really, really plays in to uh, the house of prayer that you're going to lead and uh, the ministry and really the pace that you're going to set. You as the leader are the one that is defining the pace of the ministry. So uh, if the ministry is known as one that has diligent work ethic, and uh, it does it cares about excellence, it's going to be because you care about excellence and you have a diligent work ethic. If it's one that is known as being a little bit sloppy and, you know, maybe the Lord's moving, but uh, but things are done a little bit sloppy and not done well and not done with a lot of TLC or, or uh, um, you know, diff, uh, hard work diligence, then that's going to be really a reflection of you as the leader. Because people are going to follow the pace that you set. You're going to attract people who are like you. And so you cannot change your personality, but you can absolutely change the face of the ministry based off of how you present it, how hard you work or don't work, um, how you, you know, package things, the way that you spend your time, the things that you emphasize as a ministry uh, are going to be um, uh, propagated and, uh, and, uh, and multiplied in the people and in the ministry based off of kind of how you do things. So point that I just want to make when it comes to the issue of diligence, hard work, and the, uh, the opposite would be laziness is the word of God's actually pretty firm about laziness, uh, and the Lord not liking it. And we're in a culture where the concept of laziness is greatly 
um, reduced uh, the the what is seen as laziness has been greatly reduced, and much of what laziness really is is overlooked and is even applauded uh, in our culture, and uh, and we're not fooling the Lord, you know, and so. Um, <clears throat> As leaders, we're going to call people into a particular work ethic and uh, and philosophy, and it's important that we work diligently as the leader, and that we are intentional to call others to do the same. So just a few Bible verses. Proverbs 12, 24, diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in, in forced labor. Or uh, the, uh, the 1984 NIV says... Um, ends in slave labor, just like the way that that uh, reads, because it's so, you know, picturesque. Um, Jesus talking in Matthew 25 about the issue of serving the kingdom, of building the kingdom of God, of following the plans that the Lord gave us. He gives this parable and he says, his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I had not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. If you guys don't know the passage, uh, the, the context is Jesus uh, in the parable, he's the, he's the, you know, master and, uh, he is assigning people different tasks and he's, and he's giving them certain measures of responsibility. And it's, uh, reflected in finances in this particular, uh, parable. And so he gives one guy some amount of money, he gives another guy a different amount of money. And uh, the expectation was, go with this money that I'm giving you as the master and do something awesome with it. Like, build the kingdom of God with the money that I'm giving you. This one servant, he's like, buries the money and says, I'll just give it back to him when he comes back. And instead of when Jesus is coming back or when the master comes back, him going, good, thanks for my money back. He calls him wicked and lazy because he didn't steward well what he was given. He used his time and he used the money that he was given and he didn't re- produce a return on it. He didn't work hard with it. He calls him a lazy servant. And so <clears throat> the issue of laziness in the kingdom of God, in the area of leadership, um, is, is one that we just, we can't, uh, we can't let happen. We can't be, be a party to. We want to make sure that we work diligently. So what the word says about diligence, though, laziness has promises to bring ruin and despair and difficulty and pain, but Hard work promises to bring just the opposite. So here it says, Proverbs 14, 25, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth, Proverbs 10, 4. So these scriptures and a bunch of others talk about the issue that the Lord promises to bless the work of the worker. So here's what this looks like as a leader. If you'll spend that time every week making that think tank you know, uh, brainstorming time, God will bless it. If you'll spend time every week working on administrative stuff, God will bless it. If you'll invest energy to build the thing God told you to build, actually invest energy, time, thought process, sometimes money, invest energy, work diligently at it. Just like if you got a a physical job and it was like, there was a, a giant field out there with a ton of trees and your job was to cut down all those trees one by one. And you just, you came up with a plan. You like looked at it. You're like, okay, it's 10 acres. It's a quadrillion trees. We're going to cut down one tree every hour. We got I mean, you came up with a plan and you worked on it. You just worked on it, worked on it, worked on it. Worked. Eventually you clear the field and you can make a bunch of money. Think of that exact same concept with the work that the Lord gave you. He assigned you to build the house of prayer, work at it diligently, come up with a strategy, start working on one tree at a time. Start working on that thing and work diligently at it, and the Lord will bless it. Working hard is godly. Laziness is ungodly. I mean, it's not just an issue of building or not building. It's an issue of godliness, stewardship, Christ representation. First Corinthians 15.58 says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What did the Lord call you to do? What did the Lord ask you to do? Well, whatever that is, you're to work at it fully. Fully. And I just think about that and go, 
Think about the assignment the Lord gave you to build the prayer ministry, house of prayer, praying church, whatever expression. <clears throat> Think of it as the thing that you're supposed to give yourself fully to build. It means lots of time, means late nights. It means conversations. It means strategy meetings. It means a hundred things. Busyness. It means busy. You're probably not going to be able to serve God and not be busy. I mean, just it takes takes energy. And especially if you've got another job or you're in school or you got a family, it's, you're going to be busy. I love uh, the way that, uh, that Mike Bickle talks about this point. I'm the director of International House of Prayer in Kansas City, he, uh, he talked with the Lord, made, a, made some commitments to the Lord um, when he first started uh, really doing house of prayer stuff. And uh, he, uh, he made a number of commitments. I'm not going to cover them all. But one of them is he said, Lord, if you'll provide the finances and the people, then I promise to work hard and go to bed tired every night. And I promise to work long hours. I will work long hours to build the house of prayer so long as you, God, provide the resources so that I've got stuff to build with. I will work long, hard hours. I will labor with all my might to see this thing built. And I just think what a godly example, what a, I mean, those words have rung in my ears for, you know, nearly a decade, you know, just thinking about that idea of the, the diligence that it takes. And it takes that sort of diligence. And I believe one of the main reasons, it's not the only, it's, I mean, there's a lot of people laboring. I believe one of the main reasons we have a successful missions base is because we've got leaders that are laboring with that mindset. I will give you long hours, God. I will work long, hard hours. I'll say the things nobody wants to say. I'll do the things nobody else wanted to do. I will do this in order to build the house of prayer. And I believe that the Lord looks on that and he blesses it because Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 15, always give yourselves fully to the work that you've been assigned. And so work fully. Uh, Part C, if you're in the notes, outwork those you lead. This is important. It is a bad idea for you as the leader to have uh, a an imbalance of people in the ministry um, working longer and harder than you. It's okay if there are a couple of them because they're just like anointed to do that, and they're like. But you don't want there to be even thirty or forty percent of the ministry that is outworking you in hours, in time, in energy, in effort, all those things. You don't want that because you want to be able to set the pace and set the example. And so um, people are looking for strong, respectable leaders. And strong doesn't mean tall, doesn't mean loud, doesn't mean boy or girl. Strong means works hard, knows they're a leader, and leads. And what leaders do is they're out in front of the pack. They are leading the way. They're not sitting in the back. They're, they're in the prayer meetings. They're in more prayer meetings than everybody. I mean, they're, they're doing more than everybody. They're, they're serving more than everybody. And again, they figured out how to delegate and they figured out, you know, how to, to make all that work, but they are pouring themselves in, uh, to, to make the thing work. Um, so you want to model being in prayer meetings. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of the things that for me has been really important. Our full-time staff do 15 prayer meetings a week. I'm always committed to 16 or 17. I just, that's just, I'm just going to be a little bit ahead of that because I want to make sure I'm leading the way in prayer meetings. Uh, you know, we ask our full-time staff to do at least 45 hours a week. I'm always doing 50 or 60 hours a week, always, because I just want to stay a little bit. I want to put that energy in. I want to focus that. I want to be a godly example. I want to lead by example. And so it's important that people see that. Let them see you, see you engaging the Lord. <clears throat> Don't ask people to do anything that you're not willing to do or that you've not done already. Uh, you know, don't ask people to join prayer meetings if you yourself aren't committed to prayer meetings. Don't ask people to join more prayer meetings than you're committed to. Don't ask people to do tasks that you would have never had anything to do with. Don't, I mean, ask people, lead the way by doing what it is that you would have them to do. Now, you can't do everything in the ministry. So I'm not saying you currently have to be you know, an usher and a this and a that and a this and a that in order to be able to call people into those things. What I do mean is you at certain seasons, you probably should have done a lot of those things and you should be willing to do those things uh, if there a need arises. So maybe not, you know, permanently, but like you need to fill in as an usher, fill in as an usher, because that sets a servant hearted attitude in the ministry. They see, oh, wow, the director's willing to fill in at this menial task, you know, in order to be able to help, in order to be able to see things move forward. 
So it's uh, it's uh, calling you know people to in order to be able to call people to do it, you've got to set the example first. Uh, next point is pushing people. People want to be pushed to do great things for God. Now maybe they don't say that, but nobody wants to show up before the throne and have no cool testimony to tell Jesus of how they served him and how they poured their life out for him. Nobody really wants that. Nobody at all. But a lot of people need to be pushed in order to get there. And as a leader, part of what you're leading them into is a great destiny in God. Part of your role is to call them higher, to call them into the things of the Lord, into service. And so set real expectations for them, be kind in your communication and push them, push them to serve God, to you know, run harder, do more, you know, uh, give their heart to God. And, and in the areas where they feel like they're overwhelmed, have grace on them, allow them to take a little bit of step back, give them, you know, season of rest and, and such, help them heal up and then help them be able to take some more ground later on. Uh, but you want to push people into their destiny, into servant heartedness, into loving Jesus. And part of the way that we love Jesus is through our service. And so you want to help people know what that looks like. And you've got to be the chief servant and then you've got to be able to call people into it. And you want to call people in intentionally. You actually want to push them. Say, listen, have you thought about serving around here? Oh, I don't know. No, you need to. It's good for you. Really, you want to do that. You want to figure out a way to you know, serve. Well, uh, I don't really know. Listen, I'm going to come back and talk to you about this in a week. Because you need to do this. This is good for you. You want to get involved. This is, this is a good way to help you grow. And you know, have you thought about this? And could you do this? You've got to use a lot of wisdom to know who and when and all that stuff. But some leaders are afraid to push people or afraid to ask people because they don't want to come across as needy or they don't want to come across as pushy. Pushy and needy are attitudes. They have nothing to do with asking people. Pushy is the way you presented the information. So don't be pushy. Be kind. You know, uh, you know, needy. Needy is an attitude. That's not, you know, the asking people to help. Asking people to help is good and godly and delegating. Needy is a is an attitude. So don't be needy. Don't be pushy. Instead, be kind. <clears throat> Love those you lead. Let them say, make this a just as a as a way of the way that you minister to people in the midst of working hard. Let them say, no one ever loved me so well. This leader loved me so well. No one's ever loved me that well. Let that be a statement that people you know, can say or would say, you know, let that be a, a, a point that you're striving for. Make them feel valuable as an individual. Not just that they're a task doer, but that they're, they're an important person. <clears throat> Praise them for the little things that they do and do everything as you can as a leader to see to their health and to their maturity. If you'll do all that, people will like working for you. People will enjoy being around you. People will take orders from you very well because they see that you've actually got their best interest in mind and not just a taskmaster master that's cracking the whip. And so, uh, so those are very, very helpful components. Uh, last thing, and we'll go through this part really quick and then we'll do uh, some Q&A, is you want to look at the reality that the majority of the people that are going to be heavily involved in the house of prayer, until there's a significant shift in things, here's a, an unfortunate reality point. Most people are going to be overworked and underpaid. And the reason that that's very important for you to know as a leader is you have to figure out other ways to pay them besides money, good community, encouragement, presence of the Lord, connecting you know to the Lord in the place of prayer, <clears throat> um, environment, safety. I mean, you, you can pay them in other ways, but you won't probably have that much money. <laughs> And it's important for you to know that because overworked, underpaid people are the hardest, uh, hardest uh, ones to motivate because they're overworked and underpaid. So you got to figure out ways to motivate them and encourage them and help them. And knowing that it's tough work, you know, I've, I've planted some churches, I've done mission work, college ministry, a number of different things, uh, youth ministry. This is the toughest work I have ever done in my life. It's also the most rewarding. I mean, it's awesome. I love it. I wouldn't trade it, but it's tough work. <clears throat> and, uh, and so with that, uh, it's important that, you know, especially in the smallness of a, of a uh, planting house of prayer or, or a small, you know, startup uh, prayer ministry, it takes a lot of time commitment, finances, 
it's difficult to keep people committed to it. And, uh, and it's, it's something that you have to put some energy into and investment into to continue to call people into the vision and to keep them involved because they're going to work hard and they're not going to get a lot of money out of it. Maybe no money at all. So knowing that on the front end helps you figure out, you know what? We probably need to have community. We probably need to get these people liking each other a lot. We need to get people enjoying each other's company because if they don't really enjoy each other's company, there's a good chance they'll stop doing this because this is tough work. And if they're not coming, uh, you know, for, uh, for a number of other reasons, then this, this can be something that people can wind up, uh, you know, quitting. So I encourage people to assess what you're really offering them. Recognize really how little you have to offer them in, in a number of ways and recognize the things that you really can offer them that are of a benefit. You know, things like a room where they can talk to God anytime. I mean, that's, that's powerful because there's so many distractions out there and so many things. Recognize what you really have and then help, uh, draw people's attention to what it is that you're offering and what it is that you can, uh, uh, help them with. To help people avoid burnout, um, you just want to be careful how hard you push people. Uh, there are some seasons where people's hearts are so alive in God, you can push, 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 and they are great. And then there are other seasons where their hearts really aren't that alive in God, and you can't expect as much as you could before because their their bucket's a little empty. And sometimes that's their fault because they're not spending enough time with the Lord. Sometimes it's the Lord because he's drawn back a little bit and made it a little bit more difficult. And as a result, they don't have as much fuel in their tank and you can't expect as much from them. And so gauging the community, gauging even individuals as you develop leadership teams and stuff, you know, what it is, where they're at, what, what you can expect, how hard to push, how hard not to push. It's a delicate balance and there is no one answer. The right answer is learning to be sensitive in each season with your team and with your ministry to know when is it a push season? When is it a rest season? When is it time to give more responsibility to this person? When is it time to take responsibility away from that person? Take it off their plate so that they don't have as much going on. And make adjustments as you see fit. Each season is going to look different um, for different people. I can think of over the years, sometime, there have been times where uh, certain people had a lot of responsibilities and other times where they had like so few responsibilities. I can think of times where the ministry was as a whole, was really taking ground. And we were starting this and doing this and taking on that. And I can think of seasons where it was like, man, we had to take a couple steps back and just kind of sustain and just barely make it. And all of that is part of the responsibility of the leadership and you as the key leader to keep in mind um, because you want to uh, just help people and uh, and help the ministry to be able to adjust to the different uh, seasons and help leaders adjust to the different personal seasons in their life. There are times when things get sloppy and you need to tighten up expectations. That's just real. Uh, we're in a season kind of like that right now. We've been in a, in a, a real dry season for quite a while. And as a result, things have gotten a little bit sloppy. And so now is a season where we're really tightening up the expectations and helping everybody kind of get focused again, because the pressure is lifted and there's a little bit of joy of the Lord. And, and so now things are a little sloppy and we're trying to get them tightened back up. Other times things are too tight. It's tough and you need to loosen things up a little bit, you know, loosen the collar a little and, uh, you know, let them have gene day. And so I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, you got to figure some things out uh, to make them, you know, to, to make things a little bit easier because things are tough. And so all of that really comes down to uh, the leader, uh, you know, trying to gauge the season and help uh, really the, the whole ministry be able to take um, uh, steps that are appropriate to where they're at right then, because everybody's probably working pretty hard. And not making hardly any money, and or any or none, and uh, and you just want to figure out the best way to keep a mostly volunteer workforce uh, happy and still moving forward and still pressing into the things of the Lord. But that's going to change from season to season. So, with all that, now we'll uh, take uh, some questions if there are any. So, <clears throat> if you guys have any, we can do that now. Yep. So how do you handle someone who continually doesn't get their stuff done? So glad you asked. <clears throat> um, uh, the question is, <clears throat> what do you do or how do you handle somebody that is uh, um, repeatedly not getting their stuff done, um, uh, you know, that they were assigned or whatever? 
I answer that a little bit differently um, or, or a, a number of different ways. One, what's their attitude? Um, is their attitude uh, repentant and trying? Well, you can put up with that for a long time. You can't put up with that forever, but you can put up with that for a long time. <clears throat> and uh, and so if they're like, oh man, I'm trying, I totally forgot, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm working on it. And you can tell they're actually making strides. Um, well, then you just encourage them and you keep telling them the same right things over and over. If their attitude is bad, you got to address that, I mean, head on. And you need to tell them their attitude's bad. Say, listen, you said you were going to do this. Uh, we asked you to, or I asked you to, or whatever, and you didn't do it. And then when I brought it up, you gave me excuses and you were, you know, you know, just kind of haughty about it. Like, that's not cool. Like, what's the deal? Well, really, I'm mad at you. Okay, good. Well, let's talk about that then. Why are you mad at me? Let's deal with that issue. And then we can go back to why you're not doing the thing. We'll deal with that second. Let's deal with the real issue. And you're mad at me. Okay. And half the time, that's what's going on. They're mad at you or the minister or somebody or something. Um, and uh, if they've got a bad attitude, uh, if they've got a bad attitude and you can work through it, great. You've won your brother over. If you can't, you're probably going to have to, you know, have them not do that thing anymore. Um uh, because they're just, you know, got a bad attitude about it. So you can't just let somebody continually not do the right thing over and over because it's a really negative witness to the entire ministry. Oh, around here, it's okay if we don't do our stuff and if we have a bad attitude and uh, and if we give people a little bit of flack when they ask us about it. That's acceptable around here. It's a really, really bad thing to get in the water. So uh, you want to deal with it. And so, um, so people who aren't getting their stuff done, um, you have to bring it up to them. But again, that's kind, at least the first time, um, you know, that's kind. And I ask them about it and ask them what you can do. Maybe they don't have enough resources. Maybe they, maybe they, uh, it's an insecurity thing. They didn't, they didn't feel permission to go and say the thing. I can remember a number of times where something like that's happened. And when it got down to it, we had asked them to do something that they didn't actually feel like they had the empowerment from the ministry to go and enforce or to do or to make happen. So then when it came time for them to do their thing, they felt timid and afraid and unable to do the thing. And so you, you figure out what tools do they need? What, what do you need to go, uh, help that to, to make that happen? Um, and, uh, and that's, that's a real issue. People not getting things done in a continual way is a real issue that you'll have to deal with. And so, uh, the, the most, uh, important head on is go ask them questions and talk to them about it. Great question. Next. Yep. So how do you, um, how do you like deal with different like personalities? Like say you're as a leader, really, really like detail oriented and you have very clear expectations and you have someone who's a little more not that way. Like, do you change your expectations um, to like make it easier on them or do you, like, how do you, does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So, uh, Different personality types uh, see things, view things, tackle things differently. <clears throat> so how do we handle that in the midst of, uh, you know, setting expectations? Great question. Um, here is my uh, thought process on that. Um, the majority of the people that come around here anyway that are actively involved are 20, are in their 20s, and are doing it in some sort of very part-time way. So it's not their part, it's not their full-time job, you know? We would automatically, for that category of human, automatically have a very different set of expectations than a full-time doing it as their main job sort of uh, group. So the, the expectations that we set for that group are pretty minimal. And what we do is we ask them to communicate when things aren't going to go well. I think that you should all, you ought to be able to expect that of any personality type because that's an area that we need to grow. You know, one of the things that we need to recognize about personality types is that's our starting point. It should never be our ending point. Uh, I am not by nature organized. I had to learn all this. Uh, by nature, I am goofy and uh, a distraction in meetings. And uh, and I've had to learn a lot of things that are not my personality to get stuff done for God. you know. And then there's some aspects of my personality that are hardwired that help me get stuff done for God. Like, give me a microphone. I'm in front of a bunch of people. I can handle that. I'm great. 
you know, I can carry a crowd and do those kinds of things. It's part of my personality. But getting stuff done administratively wasn't, those were components I had to learn and they were painful and they were important. So personality types doesn't mean that people can't learn administrative stuff. It just means it's going to take them a little bit of time. You want to be tender with them. You want to give them a little bit of, uh, you know, room. You want to let them communicate their frustrations and, and what they need. Uh, but ultimately, um, there are a thousand things around the house of prayer that just about anybody can do who is willing to work on whatever their issues are. And so, uh, so my thought process is whatever a personality type is, let's be gentle in our communication. Let's follow up. Let's equip them with the tools they lack. <clears throat> let's have some mercy on them, you know, for their, uh, for whatever issues that they've got or, or difficulties or, or, you know, uh, whatever hindrances that they've got. And then let's help them overcome those things. And, uh, it's funny because after doing this for nine years, I've seen that approach work with every personality type. And you just, you know, some people are going to catch on and do things faster. I mean, I'm like, I'm thinking about the super creative musician type who like, they're not administrative at all. And then I'm thinking about the super administrative person who is so not creative and so not musically uh, inclined. We've figured out how to get the administrative person to learn how to play the keys bad and then get a little better and get a little better and get a little better. And they weren't musically gifted, administrative. They had nothing of that. But you get them started and push them and push them a little more and push them a little more to the point where now we've got a number of administrative people who lead worship sets for us. Opposite. The super, you know, uh, you know, creative musician type that doesn't have an administrative bone in their body. We've got to get them to a point where they can get some admin done. And you just take them, you know, through the process and give them a small little idea and then a little bit more and a little bit more and help them and help them come up with some systems and stuff. And it doesn't, it doesn't cramp their creativity. They get up there and they're still as creative as ever up there on those, on the, you know, on the keyboard or whatever it is that they're doing or arts or, you know, graphic design. They're just going for it. And it's like such a blessing. But now they've got another chip that they can do to help build the house of prayer because they've learned a little bit of administration. And while they will never be your key administrators, they can still plug into your overall administration at some level. Just like the other ones will never be your lead worship leaders but they can lead some Devo sets. And so that's kind of a, the concept, you know, in answering the question. So great, great idea. Great question. One more. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I was thinking about the people are doing this one. You need to do more. You need to be in the prayer room more. You need to stay late. And then I was thinking about um, how that looks to other people. And I mean, I'll just be really honest. I saw you in an usher vest several times since we've been here. And I was like, oh, I like that. Like, no big deal. Brad ushers. And I was thinking, like, I want to establish the servanthood base. Like, that's the foundation. Like, no one's here to be the guy. Everyone's here to serve before the Lord. And I was thinking, like, what are some things... And it might just be character things that it is that I'm trying to ask to find, but things that establish that if when you delegate something, that that thing's important, it has to get done to keep the ministry running. You're doing it before the Lord. And at some point I would have done it and I would have not refused to do it then, but I'm practicing delegation and I'm not receiving delegation. So I was kind of looking to dig out a couple more like, ideas on that yeah not necessarily maybe a little bit of how but more kind of like what other things can you do to establish a servanthood community yeah good question people aren't begrudgingly like that guy asked me to do this the other day i gotta do it again but they're like they're like oh yes yes because that's that's how we operate that's our that's our like thought process how can i serve how can i love yeah uh to wrap it up in a question um as simply as i can <clears throat> say uh what are some ways to build a servant-hearted um, culture uh, into the community? Like, what are there some practical things that can be done? Um, so I would say uh, having the, the key leaders set the example. 
Um, and, uh, having, um, making a point somewhere, somehow for, uh, people to know, um, that certain tasks were done in other seasons. Like, you know, it's helpful for people to know that, yeah, that person who's a key leader, they used to clean the toilets. Like, it's helpful for people to know that because then they go, oh, wow, they used to clean the toilets. Yeah, they used to clean the toilets. We needed the toilets cleaned. And and they did that. And thank you, Jesus, that they did. You know? So uh, another way is um, validating uh, the the roles and the points of the ministry and helping people connect the dots behind the why behind the what, like, why does that thing have to be done? If you're doing a bunch of things and no one knows why nobody has any value behind that. But if you're able to articulate, we usher and here's why it's valuable because one, two, three, well, then people can connect. Oh, wow. My efforts actually matter because this helps build that part of the ministry in this way. And so, uh, one of the things that we try to do, and we can do better on this, one of the things we try to do is we try when we're calling people to do something, when we're asking people to sign up for something, never just give them the what. Always have a conversation with them about the why this is important and then the what, <clears throat> because otherwise they won't be able to connect those dots and they may serve begrudgingly or they may not at all. And But if you can help connect those dots that will really do it. So I would say a leadership example. Uh, yeah, so setting that, that, uh, that bar, um, as well as, uh, giving clear, um, vision behind the why of, of what that thing is valuable. Um, and, uh, and just talking about the needs, you know, and letting people, you know, know what that is. Um, it, uh, it takes some time to develop a culture. Culture is not formed overnight. Culture takes time. So you want to really give yourself you know, I'd say two to three years, really, probably to form a culture uh, in a prayer ministry. But the way you form that culture is by the things that you prioritize, by the things that you talk about, by the things that you uh, uh, praise, by the things that you correct. Um, and part of the way that you would uh, build a culture of uh, servanthood is correct unservanthood. I mean, correct the bad attitude. Call it sin. You know, correct the lack of willingness. You know what I mean? Somebody's like, I'm not going to do that. You go, listen, you love Jesus, right? Yeah, I love Jesus. Do you know like how bad that tasted just now? Like when I asked you to do that and you like looked at me like you were so above that. Like that, that didn't really taste all that good. Do you know that? Oh man, I totally did. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll just let you know how it came across. Like that's helpful. And that's one of the ways that you create culture is by correcting the wrong attitudes and the wrong spirit, but doing it lovingly, you know, and, uh, and so that's, that's one of those, you know, components. Thank you again for tuning in to this session of the House of Prayer Leadership Podcast. We're so thankful to Brad Stroop and the Prayer Room in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, for providing this content for us to equip you. We would love for you to also check out the Presence Pioneers podcast, which exists to help you and your community host the presence of God through day and night, worship and prayer. God bless.